Good morning and welcome. We're grateful for your presence. We've got a great number of folks here today. We appreciate so much you being with us. We're thankful that you've chosen to be here. To those of you that were invited by friends and family members, and we're so grateful that you took that invitation and came to be with us. I do want to invite you to stay for our luncheon. We've got a lot of food prepared. I know that we've got a lot of great cooks here, and you will leave here very satisfied. I promise you. We also have a singing that begins about 1 o'clock, and then we will have an afternoon service that will begin at 2 p.m. I want to invite you to stay for that. The young men of our congregation are going to be leading that service, and Drew and Kirk are going to be speaking. And this is the first time, to my knowledge, that they have spoken in a worship service, and so we're grateful that they have taken this challenge on, and we want you to stay and to be supportive of them. I think it'll be a great, great afternoon. Let me also mention one other thing. As many of you know, we have a television program that airs locally here called Counterpoint. It airs every Sunday afternoon at 3.30 p.m. on Channel 14, and then again on Monday evening at 6.30, and Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m., GBN has made the decision to try to put this program on nationwide. And the goal is to put it on Dish and DirecTV that would put it into about 53 to 54 million homes. And obviously there's some costs associated with that. And so what they're trying to do is their goal is to raise $60,000 to put it on Dish and Direct. They've been offered a time slot on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. on Dish and Direct. And we've had someone that has said that for every dollar we donate, they will match that. And so it might be the case that you'd like to contribute to this worthy cause. If that be the case, we'd love to have you contribute. You could see me or see one of the elders and just make that check out to GBN or give your cash donation to the elders. I know they'd be happy to take that. But I think it would be a great opportunity for us to reach this nation with the gospel. This past Thursday night, I was at a benefit dinner downtown. A gentleman came up to me and he said, I saw you on television. And he said, I agreed with everything you said. This guy doesn't go to church anywhere. So obviously people are watching and hopefully and prayerfully good things will come. Let me ask you to turn with me today to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the passage that was read a moment ago. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to be looking in our study together, beginning in verse 14 down through the end of the chapter. The theme of our day is starting over. And I suspect that there are a lot of people in our world that would love the opportunity, they would relish the opportunity to start over. Sometimes individuals will make mistakes in life. And sometimes because of the mistakes that they have made and the gravity of those mistakes, they would love to start over. The beauty of Christianity is that it affords us the opportunity to literally start anew, to start over. And to me, that is a tremendous appeal to think that whatever my past may be, whatever situation I may be coming out of, that I can start over in Christ. I assure you there are a lot of people 
that if they had that opportunity or if they knew it was a possibility, they would jump at that chance. And so today I want to talk for a minute or two about the opportunity to start over, to have a clean slate, to begin anew. I want to begin by first of all talking about the motivation for a new life. There has to be a reason why people want to start over. There has to be some driving force or catalyst that says, you know what, I need to start over. Listen, if you would, to what Paul said beginning in verse 14. He talks about the motivation for a new life. For the love of Christ constrains us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all. In this verse, we come face to face with the reality of sin, don't we? The Bible says that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all. You think about how sin is a universal problem. The reality of sin. The fact that it is a problem that affects every person. Doesn't matter what your gender may be. Doesn't matter about your race or education. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Paul would say there's none righteous, no not one. It's my conviction that there comes a point in time in life when people grow tired or grow weary of the ways of sin. Now I will freely grant that there are some things that people can indulge in that are in the world that can bring immense pleasure. You can have a lot of fun in the world. But there are a lot of people, they've been in the world for a long time. And they're tired of getting up on Saturday morning hungover. They're tired of the problems associated with the choices they've made in life. They're tired of being enslaved to some type of drug or chemical substance. They're tired of the relationships that have grown sour because of decisions they've made. Do you remember in Luke chapter 15 when Jesus talked about the prodigal son, the son that went out and spent his father's inheritance? When you look at that fellow's life and you think about the fact that he asked for his inheritance early, he gathered everything together and then went out and blew everything. I would imagine that in his mind, he had a lot to live for. A lot of good times, no doubt. And yet, the Bible says, and when he spent all, there arose a famine in the land. You can ride a wave of prosperity living in sin, but at some point in time, you're going to crash and burn. Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 15, the way of the transgressor is hard. Peter talks about those who have forsaken the right way. 
Can you enjoy the pleasures of sin? Yes, but there comes a point in time in life when people will sometimes say, you know what, I've had enough. I've had enough of the world. And then I think about how sometimes we grow weary of the weight of sin. The Hebrew writer talks about laying aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us and running with patience the race that is set before us. You ever thought about the tremendous weight of sin? Now you might ask the question, what do you mean by the weight of sin? What about the shame associated with living in sin? There are people in our world today that have a very low self-esteem. They have a low self-worth. And the reason is because they live a guilt-ridden life, don't they? They're weighed down or bogged down by a life of sin. And then I think about the stain of sin. There are things that we can do in this life. There are places we can go. There are things that we can get caught up in that will leave a stain etched in the minds of people. And our name is associated with a certain way of life. Do you remember David? David is identified as a man after God's own heart. David, as you well know, committed adultery with Bathsheba. In an effort to conceal what he had done, the Bible tells us that he had her husband, Uriah the Hittite, killed on the front line of battle. All seemed well in his life until Nathan the prophet came on the scene and said, David, you're the man. And David acknowledged his sin in the eye, before the eyes of God. When we think about the life of David, we talk about all the great things that he did, and yes, he was by far the greatest king over the United Kingdom. He was a man after God's own heart, and yet what happened? He made mistakes, didn't he? Was he ashamed of his behavior? Absolutely. Was there a stain associated with what he had done? You better believe it. You think about the events in his life and for hundreds of years, people have been talking about King David. And they always bring up that adulterous union. So, the reality of sin, but what about the remedy for sin? Is there a remedy? Well, listen again, to what, listen again to what Paul said. The love of Christ constrains us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. Here's the truth of the matter. Jesus tasted death for every man. That's what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. To know that Jesus came, lived, and died so that we might have a better way of life, so that we might enjoy the blessings, the privileges of a new life. And that new life is a reality. A couple of things here. First, I think about the fact that Jesus Christ vicariously redeemed us by his blood. The word vicarious means a substitute. Jesus became our substitute 
in going to the cross. Listen to what Paul said down in verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You ever thought about the fact that Jesus Christ took your place on Calvary? Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. The Lord Jesus Christ was willing to suffer and bleed for me. Jesus went to the cross because he had me in mind. He had you in mind. No wonder the Apostle Paul could say, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Because of the riches of God's grace, he sent his son to live and die for us so that we might be redeemed. No wonder Paul would say to the praise and glory of his grace wherein he's made us accepted in the beloved. So Jesus has redeemed us by his blood and he has reconciled us in his body. Listen now to what Paul said down in verse 18. All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to them the word of reconciliation. Let me just say this. Because of sin, we were separated from our Creator. Isaiah talks about how sin separates us from God in Isaiah chapter 59. And so you have us on the one hand and God on the other. Jesus Christ stepped in and brought the two parties together. He functions as our mediator. In other words, he brought us to God. He's reconciled us to God. There was alienation, there was separation, but now there is reconciliation. The Bible says that Jesus reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body unto God by the cross. Reconciliation takes place in the one body, that is, in the church. So when we obey the gospel, the benefits or the blessings of obeying the gospel, number one, to know that when we're baptized into Christ, every sin washed away. Do you remember what Paul said in Acts chapter 22, verse 16? when he was instructed to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins. And then we are placed in that body, the church. Paul said, by one spirit were you all baptized into one body, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. God then places us in the body, and that's where those who have been reconciled reside. Those of us who are in the church, we talk about being new people in Christ. And the fact that we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, we've been reconciled in the body of Christ. And we enjoy all these great spiritual blessings according to Ephesians 1 verse 3. There's a second thing I want you to see in our text. We talk about the motivation for a new life, but what about the invitation to a new life? First, there is some information that you need. There are a lot of people in our world today, if you... If you were to tell them, you know what, you can have a new life. You can start over. They might doubt you. They might question whether or not it's a reality. They might 
wonder in their mind, is it really possible for me to start over? Well, listen to what Paul said in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and I would underline Christ, and I would underline anyone. If anyone is in Christ, listen to what he says. He is a new creation. Did you hear that? Paul said, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Well, what about the availability? Is it possible for me to have a new life? Here's what Paul said. If anyone, that includes every person. God's design is every single person has the opportunity to begin anew. Doesn't matter if you're black or white, rich or poor, educated, uneducated. Doesn't matter if you were born in America or born in London. The availability is open to all. To know that God has granted me the opportunity to begin a new life. To start over. Let me tell you what, that is tremendous news. Now you might ask the question, how's that possible? Do you remember in John chapter 3? Nicodemus, a ruler among the Jewish people, came to Jesus at night. And he said, Rabbi, our teacher, we know that you are a man sent from God, for no one does the miracles that you're doing unless God is with him. And here's what Jesus said. Except a man be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus thought Jesus was talking about a physical birth. He asked the question, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? And Jesus said, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He would say, marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. I can't physically be born again. But what Jesus is saying is spiritually the opportunity to begin anew is open to all. You have that opportunity. You can leave here today a new person in Christ. So we talk about the information that we need. The information we need is this, that we can begin anew. The devil wants you to think, look, you can't change your life. You can't change what you've done. You can't begin anew. The devil wants you to live in sin. He wants you to live in guilt and shame. He wants that stigma of a sinful life to stay with you until death. But what the Lord wants you to know is you can change. You can be a new person in Christ. So we talk about the information that we need and then secondly, the transformation we need. What about this transformation? We said it's available to all. It's a possibility. Here's what Paul said. Look, look again at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Two things here. Here's what God is saying. Number one, God is saying, I will forgive your past. Now you think about that. God is saying, I will forgive your past. God is saying, you can have a new life. Let me tell you what, there is not a drug on earth that can give you a new life. 
There's not a bottle of alcohol that can give you a new life. There is not a person on earth that can give you a new life. There's not any book that's been written by men that's going to afford you the opportunity for a new life. But the Lord can give you a new life. And the Lord can forgive your past. Now you think about some of the things that people have done in our world. You think about things that you have done. I think about things I've done. And to know that God would forgive me. Do you remember when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth? And he said, Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, or revilers, or extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. But then here's what he said in verse 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And such were some of you. Does God have the ability to forgive our past? Yes, He does. Look at the life of Paul. Paul said in his life as a Jew, he had been a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man. He said, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And then here's what he said. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And Paul's saying, look, if God can save me, he can save you. I don't care how far down you are. I don't care how mired in a life of sin you may be. God is saying, I can forgive your past. Not only will he forgive your past, but he will forget your past. Now think about that for a minute. Are there things in your life that you've done that you wish in some way you could just purge from your memory? Or purge from the memory of somebody you know? I bet you many of us would raise our hands and say, you know what, I'm guilty as charged. I've done things in my life that I'm not proud of. And there are things that I've done that I, I look back and I think, how in the world did I ever do that? How could I have said that? How could I have gone there? How could I have gotten caught up in this way of life? Let me tell you what, there are a lot of us, that's how we feel. But what God says is, I can put all that behind you. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, one of the greatest passages in all the Bible, God said, speaking of the covenant under which we live, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. Can you believe that? That God would say, whatever you've done, when I have forgiven you, it's forgiven. When I tell you I won't remember it again, I won't bring it up again, you, you can bank on that. That's what God's saying. God's saying your past is in the past. It will stay in the past. That ought to be appealing to all of us. And then thirdly, and very quickly, the realization of a new life. What about the realization of a new life? I want to begin by saying when we take advantage of the new life, we have to understand there is a debt that can never be paid. Listen again to what Paul said. Verse 14, the love of Christ constrains us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all. I will never be able to to repay the Lord for what He's done for me. 
there is absolutely no way I will ever be able to repay God for what he has done in my life and for me as a human being. When Paul wrote to the church at Rome, he said, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and the barbarians, to the wise and the unwise. Paul viewed himself as someone indebted to the Lord for what he had done for him. I think that's why he would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. But then there is a duty that will never pass. Listen to what he says in verse verse 15 again. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Because the Lord has granted me a new life, he's given me the opportunity to start over. I've been saved to serve him. It's not about me anymore. It's about the Lord. It's about putting him first, making him the hub of my life, saying that my life is about advancing his cause, being what he would have me to be, bringing him honor and glory. Let me close by asking this question. Think about where you are in life right now. Yes or no? I'm happy with where I am in life. Yes or no? I wish that I could start over. Yes or no? If you're not happy with where you are in life and you would like the opportunity to start over, I want you to know that you can make that start today, right now. You might ask the question, well, what do I have to do? Be born again. Just what Jesus said in John chapter 3. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Believing that He is deity, as Jesus said, except you believe that I'm He, you'll die in your sins. And then being willing to give up a life of sin or to give up a self-centered life. It's called repentance. On Pentecost Day, when Peter and the other apostles preached the gospel, the prerequisite given to them, repent, verse 38, chapter 2, Acts. If you believe in Jesus and you're willing to repent, I know you're willing to confess Him before others. You remember the eunuch when he said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God in Acts chapter 8, verse 37? And then to be immersed in water so that all your sins can be washed away, Acts 22, 16. When you come up out of that water, as Paul said, Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's a new life. God is saying to you, I can give you a new life. I'm not going to force it on you. He's not going to coerce you. But He wants you to come. If you're here and maybe for whatever reason your life's not what it ought to be. At one time you were a faithful child of God and you've left, you've re- you've left Him. And you want to come home, you need to understand, you can start over. The prodigal son had the opportunity to come home and to start over. James said, confess your faults one to another, pray for one another. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you today as we stand and sing.